trauma code to New York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald live in studio for April 24th. Uh, and that music was Eddie Kendrick's My People Hold On. I think the year of the release was 1972. Uh, and that's one of the recommendations. Most of the music on today's show uh, recommended by today's guest, um, who is um, a, a visual artist and an art therapist in Brooklyn. His name uh, is Javier Irie. Is his kind of noom diplom. Uh, and so you're going to hear that. And actually, before we get into the interview, uh, we have a little sort of experiment, a mindfulness exercise. Only take a couple of minutes to, uh, you know, in addition to uh, all of the stressful stuff sometimes you hear on the show, also try to give you some sources of peace. Uh, so I have a mindfulness exercise for a couple of minutes that we're going to play after a, a brief piano piece uh, by Sofian Palmar. I believe the name is Public. We've talked about him before, um, and he's back in town uh, today and maybe Wednesday, the 24th and the 26th. Uh, so again, that's Sofian Pamar, and this song is going to be public off of his album uh, Letters. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back. Dr. Raphael here with Dr. Simon Fitzgerald. And our guest today is Javier Irie, licensed creative art therapist and illustrator. And he has graciously offered to uh, have our listeners run through a or an art therapy directive. So we're going to uh, engage in that. Please listen in. Javier, whenever you're ready. So I want to share a mindful creative exercise that taps into the senses. This is good for when your mind is thinking about stressful things and you need to come back to the present or just to shift your mood. So take a moment to find your favorite article of clothing, look around your room, 
And after you get it, take a moment to connect with it. I want you to just notice the texture of the fabric, the shape of it. Think about how it feels against your skin. Take a moment to notice if it has a scent. Take another moment to notice the colors on this fabric. Are there any details that you notice on the stitching, any buttons or anything included? And I want you to think about if this was a gift for yourself or did you treat yourself to this item? Be with the feelings and just notice the impact of being with those feelings has on you. This is a really quick way to engage your senses creatively. But if you want to do something more in depth, you can take 20 minutes to really shift your focus to something creative that will bring you into the present moment where you get a chance to focus on something that's easy, that's in your control. It's a great way to get into a sense of feeling like you're, you can make choices, you have a feeling of agency. You know, it's our brain sometimes appreciates those simple moments of agency, especially after being traumatized where you can make a choice, something simple like what color am I going to use right now? So I would encourage trying something like this for at least 20 minutes a day being creative. You can either do it by yourself or with a loved one. Excellent. Thank you so much, Javier. Um, yes, I hope our listeners were able to engage with that. Take those tips. Agree with Javier 100%. Uh, finding creative outlets, moments of gratitude, identifying your favorite item and connecting with it. All ways in which to preserve and restore some mental health in very difficult times. Thank you so much, Javier. Welcome to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald here on the line with my lovely co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael. And I'm very happy to introduce our guest for the day. It is Mr. Javier Pinnock, a licensed creative art therapist and illustrator. And um, you might have seen his work if you've seen our logo for the Trauma Code radio show. Uh, he's That's his lovely design. Um and he's a very good friend of mine. We've collaborated in the past on a youth mental health curriculum called the Facts on Feelings. Um, he's done some work with TED Education. As I said, he's a creative art therapist and illustrator. And he also has some experience doing therapy, addressing gun violence. Javier, welcome to the Trauma Code. Hey, thank you all for having me. It's our pleasure. So Javier, you and I, we go ways back. I actually met Javier when I was an intern uh, right out of medical school, rotating the psychiatric inpatient units. And um, we just happened to see each other at events that I think this, the one that we ran into each other, it was at a brick event and it was about Khalif Browder. Is that right? I believe Javier? so. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, that's the art therapist on the unit. And ever since then, We've been friends. And Javier, we've spoken about, you have a good amount of experience, and I know you and uh, Cassandra have collaborated on the use of art therapy 
um, in response to um, violence and traumatic experiences, especially for youth and young people. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to introduce you a little bit and even kind of back up and introduce the concept of art therapy, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who haven't had experience with uh, an art therapist don't really know what that exactly means. So first of all, uh, welcome to so Show Javier. And if you had to say uh, a couple of sentences about yourself and about your art therapy background, um, how would you explain that to people with no uh, familiarity with the discipline? I'll say art therapy, uh, my elevator pitch speech is what I was going to say, is basically helping people learn to manage their mental health through the creative arts is a really simple pitch. So being creative as a way to cope with whatever you're going through in life. So what does your work with art therapy look like? Can you describe us how you how you use artistic, artistic expression therapeutically? So my um, shows up in a lot of different ways because I have a lot of different jobs at the moment. Um, but I would say I work in a hospital. So on an inpatient psychiatric setting, um, where I've worked with adults and primarily with young adults right now, it is using people who are in a mental crisis, find new ways to cope or regulate um, their skills. They may not have the right tools or the language to address what's going on, but we can go in and find creative ways um, to work on some of those things. And the great thing about working in an inpatient setting is like a most multidisciplinary team. So that is just my piece of it is usually in group work, um, helping people not only learn how to cope with the arts, but also how to learn from other people, how to share space with other people as they're becoming stable again. And then I do the same thing by working with a multidisciplinary team, which is where our work began with Cassandra, you know, with psychiatrists and social workers and so many of the other people who provide services on the unit. And then in private practice, I'm also work one-on-one -on -one in individual work um, with adults and children and helping them find, I, I would say, let's say um, coping skills that they can use on their own. What usually happens is our time together is spent decompressing through art. So in the moment, using the art to decompress the things that they're going through and then maybe giving them some things to do in the interim until we meet again. Um, and then I would say some of the work that I've done with Cassandra and at other spaces like TED Ed is more workshops that teach people about what art therapy is and how to use it. Well, how to use like well art and wellness techniques in their day to day lives and less so actual client and therapist work. So uh, when you hear the part. term, oh, sorry to interrupt. That's it. That's it. Oh, when you hear the term art therapy, at least. Certainly, this was my experience before I kind of got to understand and see more of the work that you do with the patients. I would often perceive art therapy as creating something, but but there's more to it. And I know that because when we worked on the facts on feelings and we were working with about 200 young adolescent, well, adolescents, um, high schoolers, there were different exercises that you did because at the time it was like at the height of the pandemic we had a virtual class, but you'd give them assignments to do things that they could do inside of their house that didn't really need tools like, you know, crayons or markers or paper or anything to participate. So what else, what else is art therapy other than making something? Yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That, I mean, I think it's really just being creative 
And I think at its core, it's helping people develop problem solving skills. Um, and that can either show up in making a piece of art and then looking at the product and learning from what you've created or in the process of creating art, you can look at the choices that you're making, the way you interact with a particular um, medium or materials that you have around your house. And like in where you're working with your material and there's a challenge you come across, you might process how you approach that challenge and how that relates to your functioning in everyday life and some of the challenges that you're coming up across and how you would go to solve an issue. And if you're having a challenge in that area, a lot of times working through it creatively allows you to then apply the skill that you use to creatively navigate the problem in the art making process into your day to day lives. Excellent. Excellent. So one of the other things that I remember doing specifically, you know, or watching you do with the kids that we worked with was kind of having them maybe build some emotional intelligence. You show them a color or an item and they talk about how that makes them feel or how that color makes them feel. And as we know, in addressing the youth mental health crisis that's been going on for a few years now, uh, emotional intelligence is one of the key things that experts are saying is going to help young people kind of overcome this or get to the other side. So there's the emotional intelligence aspect as well and, and how art therapy can help young people build that intelligence. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was actually, I started a new book recently and I'm going to get the name of it in a minute. But um, the journey was, I was listening to something on NPR that was talking about the uh, neuro arts is this new term that I've recently become familiar with. And a lot of the stuff that we've kind of talked about in our workshop is kind of connecting to that stuff. And basically what it is, is not only are there's a program that's doing research on how art impacts the brain. And I know a lot of our collaboration was thinking about our emotions and like really what's going on in the brain um, biochemically, what happens when you experience an emotion and how to understand it, how to feel the sensations and know what they're trying to communicate and then how to use art to relieve some of that or process some of that um this really interesting program is actually doing research and you know connecting different creatives to fmri scans and seeing what's happening in the brain and using that as input for themselves to understand how is it that our emotions are showing up and what is art doing to them um as they're engaging in the arts that's fascinating and not for nothing it also sounds expensive <laughs> Which it brings me to my next question. How accessible is art therapy? I would say that it depends on where you are. Um, in New York, there are, I want to say, thousands of art therapists. Um, and a lot of them work in public spaces. Um, and what, what I mean by that is like in hospital or after school programs. Um, so I would say it's pretty accessible if you live in a city like New York. Um, where it is a hub of different kinds of mental health resources that are available to the public. Um, but I would say in most spaces, it's not as accessible because there simply aren't a lot of art therapists um, in comparison to other mental health providers. I think that is changing, though, but it because the, it is it is a field that is also not recognized by most insurances. It is also difficult for people to 
you know, get an art therapist if they want to pay for it through insurance and stuff like that. Or if you want to use a mental health app, you know, most art therapists are not able to bill for through, for their services through those kinds of things. Because um, I know mental health is becoming a lot more accessible through all the apps that are now very, very popular since the pandemic. Um, and then the cost of art therapy, art therapy, it ranges. It really depends on the art therapist. You know, um, some art therapists have really affordable sliding scale fees and some charge more because, you know, there are different art therapists that have subspecialties, if you will. There are art therapists who focus on horticultural art therapy where they have like you go to their studio and it is a garden with all these different kinds of creative arts that incorporate planting and stuff like that. So it's something like that would be more expensive because of the tools that you would need to engage in. And those things are more rare, so it'd be more expensive. Um, but if so someone is working in a studio. Oh, sorry. How would you get referred? Right. Or do you get referred or it do would, you just find one yourself? And Yeah, most art therapists are available or can be found outside today. I think that's um, one of the most accessible spaces, places, I guess, where you would generally go to find mental health providers. You can also look up art therapists. And then there's the American Association of Art Therapy, which has a list of like you can go on their website and plug in an art therapist or search by your area and it'll pull up a list of people who are near you or who provide services um, virtually in your state. If I can, one thing that you guys had mentioned that I wanted to hear a little bit more about was this facts on feelings work with young people. What was that and what, what did that look like? What was that work about? Uh, well, Javier and I have actually been co-teaching and creating the Facts on Feelings uh, for maybe since 2018. Uh, but before I met Javier, I had been working with the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health and the Health Science Academy uh, for quite some time. And then when I knew that I was going to do psychiatry, I was like, okay, there's definitely space to help young people understand mental health early on and mental health education so that uh, kind of in the, in the modality of building emotional intelligence. Um, and But this was before the pandemic. And I think during the pandemic, it became increasingly clear with the significant disruption of young people's lives and all the other things that were going on at the time. Uh, it was also the time of like, the 2020 election, the Me Too movement. People were talking very much about climate change, climate anxiety. So we, we basically made the Facts on Feelings as a response to current events and building emotional intelligence in 2020. Um, what's remarkable about the crew that we were working with, like the children, <laughs> I should say, uh, they're teenagers, high school students, and we hear a lot these days about how the mental health statistics are pretty bad and showing a lot of leanings toward youth of color and how you know the suicide rate is going up in young Black people. And the Arthur Ashe Institute Health Science Academy has this three-year, or it is this three-year science enrichment program and they are when I, at the time that we were teaching it was like 70 something percent 78 percent female and about 75 ish percent black so 
this is the group of kids that the stats show are declining the most in terms of their mental health. Um, and I knew that pairing up with Javier would do a few things. He brings in awesome creative flair, obviously. Doing this virtually, he had a lot of skills in terms of being able to work with kids, give directives um, for them to engage in the course remotely. And he just kind of is a pop culture whiz. <laughs> so, you know, he contributed a lot in terms of the mental health, in terms of the science, but then also in making it cool and engageable for the kids. Um, Javier, what do you want to add? I'm going to say thank you because I was very gracious. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think it was, I, I think you covered a lot of it. I mean, that work was really about responding to what was happening in real time and thinking about the resources that we had, you know, independently and then in combination to offer um, the kids that were going. I mean, we were all going through it, but I think we understood and identified that there was a need in that space. Um, and really, I should say you understood and identified and saw all the pieces and then we kind of collaborated to create something that would speak to um, the needs of these young people. Um, yeah. And what, and what I found really compelling about that experience, um, and, you know, as we're recording this, you know, there's recently been a spate of uh, mass shootings, including at a school in Nashville. And at time there was... Uh, at the time that you guys were doing that, the workshop with the young people, there was some traumatic events that hit pretty close to home for um, the students in those classes. Um, and you, uh, my impression was you were able to use the resources you had built up, what I call that kind of spiritual infrastructure, um, working with the kids and understanding mental health and how to express themselves and how to process everything they were going through. Um, do you want to talk about that uh, a little bit more, Javier, and, and maybe put it in the context of other experiences you've had working uh, with groups to process, you know, the trauma that we're living through? Yeah, I mean, I think that's incredibly relevant. And, you know, as we talked about a little bit before, our work was responding to what was coming up um, with the kids. And at the time... Um, the academy reached out because they had um, one of their farmer, former um, students was involved in um, a very serious issue with, regarding gun violence and the students as a collective were impacted by it. Um, and so we kind of just made space um, to build a team of people who could come in and expand on the work that we were already doing um, but really just offer them a space to grieve and process um, what it is to live with and experience gun violence. I mean, and I think it was really cool because that we both reached out to um, our circles and we were able to bring in additional psychiatrists and different creative art therapists. There are poetry therapists, music therapists, dance and drama therapists that all were able to be a part of the call. And even some of them specialized in trauma work for communities impacted by gun violence. Right. And we were able to um, do that work, break up into smaller groups and just really process what that meant 
um, for the students and what are the things that they can do to move through grief. I think one thing um, that I think is in, one thing that informs my work as a therapist is, you know, my culture. And I think that's when, when talking a lot about grief work, I know for me being Jamaican, there is a different way that we kind of process grief, which I've realized living in America. Um, and, I, and I don't know if it's like a Western thing from a larger context of processing grief independently, privately with your family. Um, but in my personal culture, grieving happens out loud. It happens in community. There's even elements of celebration in the way that we grieve. And so my mindset when walking into the work was like, how do we make this a community-based approach where people can express the grief that they have in their bodies and externalize it in community so they feel that it's not this strange thing that they have to hold and keep and then it manifests in other ways that may be maladaptive, right? And so I was really grateful that we were able to offer that um, to the students and also be a part of that. And it's also part of work that I've been doing over the last few years with this program called the Emerald Sketch, which is um, founded by another art therapist, Nicole Porter-Davis, who um, is very focused on building crisis response teams that specifically pull art therapists into spaces that have been impacted by gun violence and then doing trauma response work. And that started in, that started in Connecticut after the Sandy Hook shooting in all the way in 2012, where I was an intern, I was a student and I was interning um, with her program and she funded that and kind of just was helping a lot of the families and kids impacted um, by the tragedy that happened there. And then after mobilizing the community, getting funding for that kind of work to continue to happen, she decided that she wanted to take this um, and continue to do the work because as we just named, you know, gun violence has been on the rise, right? It's, it's rising this year, but it's been on the rise for years and years and years. Um, and unfortunately, we kept finding spaces that our services were needed, right? So there are places like we went after, you know, the Charleston Church Massacre. We went down there and did some work with those people. There was um, in Uvalde, able to go down and do work there. And, you know, even in New York and Brownsville, able to do work around gun violence and then being able to bring some of those skills to the academy, it, it really just, I mean, just to answer your question of pulling from my prior experience, all of it felt like it was building upon itself. And I was able to offer some of that to the communal work that we provided there. So Javier, what is the role of art therapy in trauma? Are there specific skills that you try to work on in those circumstances? I mean, you're mentioning specific gun violence you know, incidents. What are the goals in that setting? One of the goals of trauma-informed art therapy in those settings, I think the the goal is mainly to have people function in a way where their trauma is not, for lack of a better term, like ruin, ruling their lives um, in the sense of, you know, if we're able to do effective work where people can function in their day-to-day -day life. That is one of the clinical goals, right? Like how can you be functional? How can you continue to go? Because a lot of the times you're going into a community that has been impacted by trauma 
these people aren't going to leave, right? So they're going to be interacting with the triggering spaces that, you know, the part of their lives, right? If something happened at school or a church, eventually they will return to those spaces, right? So how can we use the creative arts to help them learn how to cope enough to be in those spaces so that they have to, so that they can continue um, with their lives? And a larger goal would be for them to be able to revisit the traumatic experiences without feeling as if they're being re-triggered and pulled back into the trauma, but more so as an observer who can witness, be a part, like tell their story of the trauma, but understand that that does not define and impact how they have to show up in that space in that present moment. And then of course, there's always taking into account what the client's goals are. For some people, it is, they never want to return to that space. So it might look a little bit different, but from our end, that is always the ultimate goal of how can we allow them to function. Right. And, and probably also helping folks who don't necessarily have the words to verbalize what their experience was or struggle right. with yeah. processing it in kind of overt ways. Um, art therapy, yeah. I could easily imagine, gives them the space for expression in some other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can open up the earlier statement about like, when I said having the allowing them to retell their story without feeling as if they're in it, that would be that would speak to what um, that would look like of could a person get to a space where they can either if they can't tell their story, they can't talk about or process it, can they make a piece of art that allows them to revisit the story and redefine um, how it's impacting them? so that they can function. Okay. Thank you for explaining that, Javier. Um, and one question that I had, if, if there are people that either are experiencing trauma or working with uh, individuals, families, communities, experiencing trauma, what resources might be, be available um, for someone who wants to, to, to try to apply what you're talking about, art therapy, in, in, for people that they're connected to or their loved ones? If there are people that are, you know, are adjacent to or, or experience traumatic events, uh, what resources are available to, to get the benefit of these kind of art therapy? I mean, what I found really um, impressive about what uh, you and Cassandra had done with this group of young people, I also felt was probably pretty unique that there's not a lot of these resources. So if, if someone uh, knows the people who, who might benefit from them, you know, what can somebody do or what resources resources are available? I think if you, I mean, if you're speaking to someone and you yourself are not a mental health provider, if you're like a friend or a loved one or a parent or sibling or whatever family orientation, you can always Google. I think the internet is such a accessible tool. You can Google art therapy in wherever you're located. Um, and see what kind of services are available. But you can also, as I mentioned before, go to the Art Therapy Association website and they have a search engine where you can not only search for providers, but you can see what kind of services they offer. Um, some people offer online workshops. Um, some of them are free. Some of them are donation-based. You pay what you, you want. And in a workshop setting, you could also go with the person 
right? It doesn't have to be, oh, well, I, I think you should go to art therapy and they might feel intimidated by a one-on-one session, but you can say, let's go to this art therapy workshop together that I found on the Art Therapy Association website. Um, I think that's something that comes to mind immediately. And I think also if you are working with a mental health provider or working with someone who's familiar with the field, you can have them help you look for resources. Um, You can tell them what you're interested in. And, you know, I heard about this art therapy thing and I would like to try this because I think it could help me in this way. They can help connect you to um, resources that may not be as easy to find online. Thanks, Javier. Uh, in addition to being a licensed creative art therapist, you're also trained in EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Can you say a few things okay. about that? Yeah, that sounds complicated. Um, <laughs> I, I just nailed it. So, I mean, um, in a nutshell, um, EMDR is also is another trauma based therapeutic i don't even know what to call it, like intervention or or really modality discipline yeah modality that people practice in um and actually during the pandemic um the emdr official association was offering training specifically to people of color um taught by people of color what was called it was taught by a diverse range of folks but the people who are teaching the course um, really focused on what it means to be a clinician of color working with trauma and using EMDR specifically to connect to communities of color. Um, and that work, which I'd imagine is not too different from EMDR in general, but the, the general thought is how do you use bilateral stimulation to help someone reprocess trauma? And what that basically means is the, there's this... Uh, the, the thought is that when somebody experiences a traumatic event, the memory, as the metaphor is put, is like sh- is a dish that is shattered into a bunch of pieces. And so usually what our, our brain does is when we have experiences, they file it away neatly into a particular space. And because this traumatic memory is shattered across the brain, you can't really file it away. So it might show up in your triggers, right? You hear a loud sound that reminds you of the trauma, you're jumping. So it's like, and you might not really fully understand why EMDR might help you pull together cluster memories so you can consolidate those things into a dish that you can file away in the appropriate space so it doesn't keep impacting your functioning from day to day. I hope that made sense. There's a lot of metaphor in there and a little bit of EMDR. Well, it sounds speech. like, I was just saying that it sounds no, but, like, yeah. some exp- like some training to compartmentalize uh, events, feelings, thoughts, so that they don't kind of pop up and interfere, uh, in one's life. Right. Right. But it's done and through then, learned eye movements. Yes. So, or that's how it started. Like back in the day when it was invented, um, I'm not even remembering the woman that invented it, but it, I'll say it when it comes up. But basically, it, it was work that was done with people who are a lot of veterans who were traumatized by war. And there was a psychologist who was just researching or hadn't somehow was paying attention to that when people are sleeping, their eyes are moving back and forth or left to right. And they were processing all that they learned from the day 
um, and filing it away in their minds and use that and really revolutionize, revolutionize trauma work specifically with veterans because after a couple of sessions, having people sit and go through their traumatic experiences while recreating that eye movement that happens when you're sleeping or really when you're in the REM cycle, it helped them be able to reprocess the memory and develop new thought patterns around it where they were no longer traumatized by it. They could still have, they could understand the memory in a different way that allowed them to function in life. And for years, it started with using the eye movement. And then, you know, as science does, they people experimented and did different things. And they realized that it's not just about moving the eye back and forth, but it's about following um, specific phases in the EMDR process while allowing people to stimulate both um, hemispheres of the brain and the body. So that's what they call like the bilateral stimulation. So sometimes it's moving your eyes back and forth. Sometimes for people it's clicking with, you know, devices back and forth or tapping on both parts of your body. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, but they're really just getting the body to engage both hemispheres to process while they're doing specific phases to allow them the to name, function. Yeah, sorry, is, is the name of that psychologist Francine Shapiro? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. she's the originator and developer of EMDR. Yes, give Francine Speaking of credit. the power of the internet. <laughs> so, Just look that up. So, Jibri, there's, <laughs> there's plenty more to talk about, but I, I know you may have a, um, an, a hard stop, an obligation. Now, should we take a break and, and pick up uh, when you're uh, more available? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Back to Trauma Code, everybody. We have with us Javier, licensed creative art therapist. We've been touching upon various topics, the facts on feelings, which is a mental health curriculum for kids that Javier and I co-created. Uh, also, EMDR, the role of art therapy in healing trauma. Um, I know that Javier is also trained in Indigenous Tools for Living. Javier, do you want to say a few words about that before we move on? Yes. I mean, I I think the the meat of it is looking within ourselves to find medicines from our ancestors. Mm. So things that they may have passed down to us that we may have and may not um, readily use. So what do you use, Javier? Things that I use, um, well, I'll say art is probably what is most helpful for me. Um, I come from a very creative family, and that has been a, a great tool and teaching mechanism for me, a coping mechanism that I use. Mm -hmm. uh, and on that topic, now we can introduce Javier Irie, which is basically your artist's name. Do you want to say a little bit more about that name? Nom de plume. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll touch on the Irie part because Javier is my birth given name. Um, and then the Irie is from Jamaican Patois. And it just basically means that you're always good. Um, everything's all right. That's the energy of it. And I see myself in that way. Um, I think things always seem to work out or even when they don't seem to work out, that's okay because you're still good. And that's also a part of life. 
right? Everything is good um, in some way. And Seeing then it will be restored, it will be balanced. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Seeing the good in everything. So I added that on my uh, artist's name on social media. Also because somebody out there has at Javier and they don't use the account and I can't get it. So. <laughs> and people may not know, but uh, the logo for Trauma Code was uh, designed by Javier. Uh, where else can people find some of your work? And do you want to say anything else about the quality of the of the artwork that you do? Um, I think my art is mostly about um, like reclaiming the black narrative and just giving because I use it to redefine things that I see um, for my own self and just to kind of process information. Um, so I think that's the the underlying theme or intention behind my work is just giving a different perspective on art that is retold by a black artist. Um, I think if I think about when I first put my art online, it would probably be, um, there's an art piece that basically took different characters from different cartoons or black characters who were basically like either side characters. Some of them were main characters, but most of them fit the trope of the, um black best friend and i decided to kind of redefine that narrative and put them all in their own leading role as if they were in the sitcom a different world and i think a lot of people responded to that and responded to the idea of being able to retell your story but with from your own perspective and centering your own culture identity and all those different things so i think that's the meat of what my art is about um yeah, and, I, and I, that also blends into my therapeutic work in terms of exploring identity. I love that. So you're really centering various Black narratives and putting it together. That was the first piece of artwork that kind of took you off the ground in the internet. The other thing that I really associate with your art are the mashups. Um, one of them specifically that I remember is the Trudy Proud character from The Proud Family and then you mash her up with Beyonce and you have Trudy Beyonce. And not for nothing, Beyonce last year showed her whole family <laughs> as the Proud family and she was Trudy Proud. And so suffice it to say, I think my friend manifested this. But yeah, the mashups. What can you say about that? <laughs> I believe in the energy of manifestation and mashups, yes. No. <laughs> um, I think mashups are 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 such a big part of black culture i think i didn't realize that because there, there there are times where you just do things and then you look back on it and you kind of process what is happening and then you see parallels but when i think about a lot of what um has been created thinking about being black in the west is a lot of taking things, mashing it up and making something new with your own twist on it. Think about street style, right? Street fashion. Mm -hmm. um, think about food, giving scraps and turning it into soul food. Um, just in the Caribbean, the so out of many, you know, people, you come together and there are these new dishes that are created. And I think that was just something like growing up in spaces and environments that that is a norm that just bled into my artwork and I just pulled things and remixed it and made it into something new. And I think there was something 
empowering about that. Um, and as I'm speaking, I'm thinking about how empowering that is when you're doing trauma work to when people don't feel that they can control anything, giving them the opportunity to rewrite or redefine or shift something around can be very empowering um, and can be a creative way to get them to feel a sense of ownership over things. And I, and I definitely feel that way when I make my art. Yeah. And with a lot of reframing too, right? Is it's like the yes. same concept that you're doing, like when you're mashing, mashing up characters, um, you're kind of giving a new perspective to something pretty well defined and in trauma yeah. healing work. That's also what we're doing. There was an event. Right. You remember it one way. We can't change that it happened, but we can change the way you perceive it. We can change the way you process the information and respond to it. So I like that, Javier. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned centering the black narrative in your art. Anything more you want to say about black representation art? Black, re black representation yeah. in art. Yes. Black representation in art. I love that. I. That's also... Yeah, I think there is a lot of that happening now. Um, and, you know, I think there's always moments of these resurgences, right, of Black representation. Um, if you look across history, speaking in the context of the West, because that's where we are, there are these, you know, you re come into Black representation and it kind of dies down and then you come back into it. Um, and for me, that is a constant you know, it's it's how I live. It is how I've existed. And I think for some, like in my early, early years, I was born and raised in Jamaica and I grew up around black people. I grew up with a black prime minister. And then you come to a country that's very different. Um, you know, Clinton was president at that time. And, you know, it's, you're just in a different context. And so there is this thing of creating the world that you want to see because you had a taste of what it could be or what you were used to, or representation being present early on. So I think that's always been something that's a part of um, centering, including representation of Blackness within the art. And also, mm -hmm. that is my authentic story. So I can't make art from anyone else's perspective because it doesn't feel authentic to me. So you know, Javier, we usually ask for cultural recommendations from guests. Uh, could be books, music, shows, upcoming art, um, anything that you want to share with us and our listeners to maybe check out? Don't don't exclude your own uh, Instagram handle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say follow me at Javier Irie. Um, I, it's pretty much the same social media, but there are so many great artists who are doing that kind of work as well in terms of like centering themselves and using the social media to create like a inclusion, you know, and really reshape the things that we want to see in the future by creating it now. Um, any other things that I think people should talk? I, I think on a, another related note, I think um, balancing like mental health and the creative arts in a weird way I, I really like Charlemagne the God's Shook One, which is a book that tells his story about, you know, dealing with anxiety 
And then it's co-authored by a psychologist who breaks down some of the stuff that he's going through. And I like stuff like that because it's creative, because he'll reference, you know, he'll tell a story as if he's talking to you, like he talks to you on the radio as he's someone really familiar. And then he'll pull in like these hip hop references. And so you're in this whole musical space. And then all of a sudden the psychologist jumps in and breaks down what's going on psychologically. And it's like, that's really funny to me. So I, I like books and content like that that allow you to be creative but also learn a little bit about what's going on with you um and i would say anything for the kids for the kids i would say um on like with representation there are a lot of great books that allow kids to feel seen and have their culture or feel like they're being represented culturally which builds and boosts their self-esteem um, I think some books that I love is, so actually my nephew's favorite book is, um, Night Owl and there's no strong, you know, messaging in it. It's literally about a black mom trying to get her black son to go to bed and <laughs> story <laughs> of my life. <laughs> it's such a relatable experience and they just love seeing like a curly haired brown boy that looks like them and was wearing these animal, this night owl pajama. And it just speaks to how important, you know, seeing images that look like you, you know, is in terms of kids buying into a story. And I always think that stories have to be these big, powerful things. And sometimes they can be very simple, very minute, very relatable. And that connection and that simplicity, that relatability is what creates that powerful impact. Um, Agree. Yeah, books like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Definitely learned a lot about the power of art in healing, healing in trauma and healing in, or just kind of being in the world. You know what I mean? Just to look at the world yeah. a different way, new eyes. Um, friend, I appreciate you. Happy to have you on. There'll be more. And is there a song you want to lead us out with? Anything you want to say about it? Yes. Um, at first, I want to express my gratitude to you and Simon for having me on. Um, it is, I don't know, this is incredible. I, I really love what y'all are doing and just how bringing that knowledge to the people is just always so important. So I really appreciate this space. Um, and then Thank I want to say my welcome. The song that we're leading out to is Cool as the Breeze by Chronics, two X's. Um, and I don't know, it's just a great vibe song. And I think it ties into that idea of and just being cool as the breeze. And it's a very celebratory summer kind of vibe. And New York has suddenly turned into summer. Um, suddenly. Suddenly. It was just like bubble jackets last week and now T-shirts. <laughs> Um, exactly. And, and, but just, um, it, it's a song for me that reminds me, um, to be like, it's really hot, a lot going on, but I can still be as cool as the breeze. I can blow, I can move, I can change, um, what's going on around me by shifting what is around me. So like something's going on and I don't feel a certain way. I can change the music that can shift my mood. And that is a song that does that for me all the time. So that's Chronics, cool as the breeze. Chronics. Thanks everyone for listening. 
Thanks for joining us, Severe. Thank you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Roll out to be like a breeze. While it look like a science book, sir, a school never teach. Rev the truck up to the mountain top, and as soon as me reach, go get the sun, kick the shoes off my feet, then me bless the cup, 32 sand to reach. Give thanks for the love me receive, me work every day, in the street, and every day, and rich nights like these, when a holiday, just for the beach, white t-shirt, and I got a feet, and we don't need no sneakers. Sun grains and massage the feet, blessing a flow like river. Girl, drop asleep, she's in the Indica, we a car and Sun burning up till it red. Welcome to Kingston every day. It's a summer every night, feel like a Friday. Rep the bike till I'm safe. It's on my eye grade, I'm in the Welcome back to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald in studio. And uh, that interview that we just heard was with Javier Irie, a visual artist and art therapist here in Brooklyn. Uh, and that uh, song that he mentioned, uh, Cool as a Breeze, is what we heard about 10 or 15 minutes ago uh, in the break in the interview. Um, so we're wrapping up here on Trauma Code. I uh, just wanted to remind everybody that uh, we've been doing this, what, since October? Uh, many good uh, back episodes, or if you want to follow this and aren't always free on Monday, you can check out uh, Trauma Code on the WBAI Radio Archives uh, or just search Trauma Code wherever wherever you get your podcasts. And like, comment, uh, subscribe, all those good things. Uh, and in addition, you know, we volunteer our time, but to do this, to stand on the shoulders of the giants of that WBAI legacy, we got to pay the bills here, got to pay for the uh, transmitter and everything else. Uh, you can do that at give2wbai.org or find the donate button on wbai.org website uh, or uh, call in the pledge line at two zero uh, rather 212-209-2950. Again, 212-209-2950. Uh, and earlier in the, the show, um, uh, Javier had mentioned a book that uh, the title escaped him. Uh, that book was called Your Brain on Art, How the Arts Transform Us by Ivy Ross and Susan Magsiman. Your Brain on Art, How the art, uh, how the Arts Transform Us. Uh, so add that to your recommendation list. And we're going to wrap up the show with a song by Michael Brunn of that whole bio movement, another Haitian-Jamaican collaboration like many of Cassandra and Javier called Charge It. Uh, 
shot And that, then I know back shot Dark it out, get a cool and back You hurt to be, you just bend me, you make it back Hurt to be, but when me reach me, you make it stop Right leg wide, your left one side You look one, this boy, I ride with the tide I limp up on the champagne chop With my gun, with my belly, and I style it like Yeah, know you enjoy yourself Turn them out, if just bring all of them Name she have a man, sin all again That care of the blocks, so just spill all of them Stop it. Go for it.